Hi, everyone. Dr. B here. Again, thanks for joining us on Ask the Dentist. I'm your host, Dr. B, and I'm here with Yvonne Burkhart, Dr. Burkhart. She is a PhD, um, and she's a DABT, board-certified toxicologist, coach, and corporate consultant. And she's been doing this for a long time, over 20 years, uh, mostly in toxicity, endocrine disruption, infertility, cancer, and glutathione homeostasis. I really want to get into that as it relates to gum disease. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about surfactants. Uh, she is just has so much information to, to, to give out. Uh, uh, I think I first heard you on Drew's podcast, my friend Drew, and it was, I was riveted. I was in the car. Usually I, when I pull up somewhere, I'll just turn off the podcast and go into the store or, or into my home. And I just remember sitting there for an extra 20 minutes to, uh, to finish, uh, that episode. So anyway, welcome, welcome to an oral health podcast. Uh, who, who would have thought, right? Right. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, tell me more about your PhD. I'm curious. What is a PhD in toxicology? How how did is that unique? Is it a, a very narrow field? And what what is it in encompass? I'm curious. Uh, my PhD is in environmental toxicology specifically, and we're concerned with the effects of environmental chemicals on human as well as environmental health. So, looking at the ecosystem and how that affects human health. So, we're all connected to not only uh, our own health, but of course, the health of the environment and the ecosystem. So that's how I came to be uh, a toxicologist. I spent many years doing basic research in the lab. So I did my PhD studying glutathione homeostasis, specifically in the ovary and testes and how it relates to our reproductive fitness, as well as infertility and how that affects cancer when we're exposed to environmental chemicals. So as you know, the environmental chemicals can have effects all over the body. But in particular, we were concerned with the rising incidence of infertility and reproductive cancers. So that's how we got up, got into that field. It's it's a scary thing. Infertility is on the rise. Uh, sperm counts are down. A lot of that has to do with our environment. Let's, let's talk about toxins in general. I, a lot of people just don't want to hear it because they know, deep down they know that our environment is very toxic, uh, part, mostly due to us, right? Corporations, uh, lifestyle, uh, choices that we make when we buy things, we know it's not good for us. Uh, BPA, plastics, microplastics, uh, uh, those are a lot of endocrine disruptors right there. Um, how do you kind of, I mean, you have kids, you have two kids, family, husband, and you know you've had some personal history, health issues as well, mostly due you found out later due to toxins. How do you see the big picture? Is it really depressing? Is there something we can do? Is there hope? What what do we? I, I want to wrap that up first, just so that we can move on and think. Okay, there's something we can do here. Uh, what are the solutions in general? Well, I know it can seem hopeless at first, especially if you've never heard about environmental toxins or even thought about this concept. And I totally understand because I was once there myself, but there's absolutely hope. And I am proof, I'm an N of one for my own study, but I am proof that a low-tox lifestyle and avoiding toxic chemicals and supporting our cellular detox pathways works. In restoring our health and restoring our vitality, reproductive function, which is what I struggled with, so many other health conditions, as you mentioned, are related to environmental chemicals. And even cancer 
is up to 90% rooted in environmental causes, meaning it's 90% preventable because we can control what we're exposed to, especially at home. So there's absolutely hope. And I don't want people to feel defeated or overwhelmed or lost. And it's understandable if you do at first, but just remember that there is a way around it and it does actually work. And the good news is that the body is able to withstand a lot of this. We are pretty complex human beings. We can take a certain amount of it. There's a threshold. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, what in general, I know this is a really difficult question, but it's a question I ask myself a lot, mostly in the oral health realm, you know, when it comes to fluoride, surfactants, uh, other things that we put in our mouth that our mouth is exposed to. What percentage of those toxins can you do something about? And what percentage, and again, I guess this would be something like air pollution. Uh, you can't be indoors all day in a filtered room. What percentage is workable where you can prevent things? I mean, if you're educated and well-informed, obviously that's a lot of work, uh, especially with a family. And what percentage, there's nothing we can do about it. We would, I, there's some forever chemicals that would take us several generations to get rid of. Uh, what What's the ratio there? I would say on the, in general, no one has actually quantified this, but in general, right. if we just think about how much time we spend in a particular place, if you're at home most of the time, then you can control almost entirely what you're exposed to at home, almost entirely. Right, good. From your air quality to the foods you drink, the air, or air you're breathing, the water you drink, so on and so forth, and the products that you're using, the furniture, to a certain degree. You can control a vast majority. I would say it's upwards of 80%. But if you're out and about in the world, you can't control what's going on outside of your home or at work, for example. If you are at work, just do your best, You know, bring your own water, try to eat healthy, get fresh air as much as you can. If you can get a portable air purifier, these are things that I would have done if I was still working in the office and I know would have benefited me when I was in that type of environment. But just being mindful and aware, we can control, I would probably say on average 70 to 80%. Good. Just on a daily basis. That's good to hear because I've been micromanaging uh, my environment from very early days, probably I would say late teen years uh, based on what I was reading. Then I had a family. I was micromanaging their exposure to everything. My wife was completely on board. Uh, supplements, you know, there's there's the management of the toxin and then there's managing the response to the toxin and optimizing your response with supplements and health and exercise and 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 minimizing the exposure but it is a lot to juggle and you know most of us are working hard we've got one or two jobs single parents maybe kids family mortgage uh it's hard to add and financial knowledge and and management uh it's hard to do all of this i mean the, the the days of being a renaissance man or woman i mean that's uh, that's done i mean th those those days are over because we have so much information um do you think over uh do you think worrying about it too much has an effect on our health absolutely when we worry that we're increasing our stress response cortisol release and you're disrupting your hormonal homeostasis just in in worrying and ruminating and thinking about things that you that can't necessarily control. So I think focusing and taking one step at a time, day by day, and just really, if you've got kids, then focus on protecting them first. Since they've got so much longer to live than the rest of us, 
and they can't detoxify the way adults can. So being mindful about your kids first, I think can take a lot of the burden off, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed by just daily life. The stress response is not going to help you. Yeah. What are the uh, what are the toxins you're most worried about? If you were to pick your top five, or I don't want to limit you to five, maybe top three, top 10, and the ones that you really are actively avoiding and working on keeping out of your, out of sight, out of harm, what, what are the top, top toxins uh, that you would tell people, this is something you should worry about and deal with? Well, I would just say in general that they are endocrine disruptors. So out of the endocrine disruption category, PFAS would be at the top simply because we cannot degrade them easily. They're Once they're in your body, they're kind of sticking around for a long time. They're extremely stable and persistent. So that would be number one. Second one would be phthalates simply because of how prevalent they are. They are in almost every product out there, fragrances, plastic food packaging. We're exposed continuously. And so even if that one is not as persistent, just the simple fact that we're exposed continuously continuously is a is a concern. And the third would be heavy metals. Heavy metals have the potential, and all of these do, have the potential to cause cancer, but also endocrine disruption. And they can bioaccumulate, especially the metals in your brain and tissues that don't necessarily show up with disease until much later on in life. But now children, unfortunately, young children are having elevated levels of heavy metals because of baby foods, because of farming practices, um, which is extremely unfortunate, but just being aware of them and supporting your child as much as you can, you can really help prevent this. How about um, heavy heavy metals? Um, what, what are other sources? Oh, uh, vaccines. Uh, I, I know for a while there was a lot of aluminum and other uh, mercury. mercury. Yeah. Is that, I know they've worked on lessening that exposure or even eliminating it. Uh, is that a big contributor to heavy metal ingestion and, and absorption with kids, do you think? I know it's a very um, sensitive uh, topic. Yeah, I think it can be simply because of the route of administration. So it's going IV, it's going directly into the bloodstream. Whereas if you were ingesting heavy metals, you might not absorb all of them. Right. Whereas if the heavy metals are injected into your bloodstream, that's almost a direct hit. Did you know that there is one phase of sleep that almost everyone fails to get enough of? And this one phase of sleep is responsible for body's daily rejuvenation and repair, better control of appetite and weight loss hormones, boosting energy, and so much more. The stage I'm referring to is deep sleep. This is something my wife and I measure personally every night with our sleep, and it's one of my greatest concerns with my sleep medicine patients, and it's a marker I follow when treating them. If you don't get enough of this kind of sleep, you'll likely struggle with cravings, slow metabolism, premature aging, brain fog, cognitive decline, only deep sleep deep cleans the brain every night. And why don't we get enough of this essential phase of sleep? One main reason is magnesium deficiency. Over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium. Magnesium increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level, which is critical for sleep. Magnesium also plays a key role in regulating your body's stress response system. But not all magnesium supplements are equal. Most have only one to two forms of magnesium. The reality is, is that your body needs all seven forms of this essential mineral. 
This is why I recommend and use Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It contains all seven forms of magnesium that helps to calm your mind. It helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. And most importantly, it allows you to attain that essential stage, deep sleep. Bioptimizer's Black Friday Mega Sale is happening right now and lasting throughout the entire month of November. The biggest discount you can get and amazing gifts with purchase are available only on my page, bioptimizers.com slash askthedentist. Use the code askthedentist. Again, bioptimizers.com slash askthedentist. How about, where does glutathione show up in oral diseases? Is it Does it show up anywhere else? It, it must. Yes, Maybe. actually in oral cancer, definitely with cancer. So glutathione detoxifies a lot of carcinogens. And what's basically happening is when you have an oxidative event, so oxidative stress, inflammation, mm -hmm. then that leads to DNA mutations, DNA damage, and that's how you start getting cancer formation. And in the mouth, definitely, even with uh, smokeless tobacco products and regular tobacco products, you'll get this depletion of glutathione systemically, but also in the oral cavity as well, clearly, because right. you're administering it there directly and the body's trying to detoxify all these chemicals that you're basically leaving room for carcinogenesis to take place. And mm -hmm. so with depleted glutathione, so there was actually one study looking at people that had low glutathione levels in their whole body. They also had increased risk of oral cancer, periodontal disease, and kidney disease. It was all related together. I mean, of course, the entire body is connect interconnected. So right. that ne isn't necessarily a surprise, but it's also interesting. What I found really interesting is the correlation between glutathione levels and cavities. In children and adults, there's a few studies out there. It's not too well characterized. But one of the things that I found really interesting is that in children, it looked like glutathione in the mouth is increased when there's incidence of cavities, whereas in adults, it's decreased. So it almost seems like if you're a child, your body is trying to neutralize and repair and prevent this damage from happening. But that maybe that effect seems to get blunted as you get older. So it's really important if you're, if you have kids, I mean, I've got kids. My number one goal is keeping their mouth in pristine health as much as I can right. because I know the you know how traumatic it can be to go through dental procedures as a young child and it just carries on into adulthood it doesn't leave just because necessarily you lose your baby teeth right I think it's it just kind of will continue unless you do something about it and so supporting the glutathione in the whole body is huge for children yeah. and also in the mouth right so what I heard is that the glutathione levels in kids that have cavities is elevated. Um, and, um, which makes sense. Uh, and again, cavity, the cavities is the symptom, but the real root cause of it is, is that dysbiosis. Uh, and obviously that would, I mean, two thirds of America is using a mouthwash that kills and knocks down the oral microbiome which indirectly causes high blood pressure. And about two thirds of us in this country have high blood pressure. Um, and there are other reasons for it, of course, but, but, you know, it seems like 
anything, any, a lot of these oral care products that are disrupting and causing dysbiosis are actually stimulating that glutathione response. Whatever you've got, right? As, as adults, you have less. So, so kids have a higher glutathione. That, that's interesting. They also have a higher incidence of decay. It's not all about diet. They actually have a higher critical pH. Uh, there's a study that came out a few years ago. Uh, there's, there's a pH where in the mouth where cat, where tooth demineralization begins. And for adults, it's lower. In other words, it takes longer to get down to that pH, where with kids, it starts sooner. That should be very scary for a lot of parents uh, and adults. Uh, I mean, kids, <laughs> but, um, and, and then there are other reasons as well. Uh, mouth breathing, also the oral microbiome in children is less mature. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot more, uh, variability between biomes. It seems to mature, uh, in the late teen years, uh, and then it becomes more stable. That's theoretically according to some studies. So this is fascinating about glutathione. It seems like glutathione would be a good thing to measure, kind of like CRP and other biomarkers. Are we measuring glutathione? I mean, it's not a, on a standard blood test. I think you can get it. But you'd have to ask for it, and insurance probably doesn't pay for it, right? Right. I don't think it's a standard test at all. And I think there's mm -hmm. multiple endpoints that you need to look at, not just the glutathione itself. Because if you're looking at just, you want to look at total glutathione, so the oxidized and the reduced forms, mm -hmm. you need to have that ratio. So you know that if you're in a more oxidative state versus a more reduced state. Right. And, and there's, you know, you want to be as, you know, balanced as possible. You don't want to go tip the scales in either direction. Necessarily, because if you over reduce, then that's also not good. And then you actually, so this is a really interesting thing. People ask all the time, can I just supplement glutathione? Well, yes, you can, but at a certain level, and it's very highly dependent on the person, mm -hmm. you can actually turn glutathione from an antioxidant into a pro-oxidant, which is the exact opposite of what you want. Right. So you don't, you got to be really careful with the whole supplementation thing, which is why I personally... I try to to support my glutathione levels with diet and lifestyle as opposed to just supplementing because it's almost like you're just trying to throw mm -hmm. anything you can at a bad lifestyle, poor lifestyle, as opposed to fixing the root cause, which is the lifestyle. Well, there are some studies out there that suggest that if you over supplement or supplement incorrectly, that the ability for a cancer cell to multiply is increased. That could be related to that pro-glutathione. Uh, talk more about that. So how are people supplementing for glutathione? What are the forms and supplements that they're taking? And how does that how does that make not too much, it sounds like it's not too much glutathione because there's a limit to that, but it's the type of glutathione. Uh, to talk about that as well. Yeah. So people, you can't actually take glutathione in its whole form. It won't absorb that well because you need a transporter on the cell surface to actually get it inside the cell. So a lot of people are using N-acetylcysteine, which provides cysteine. That's right. the rate-limiting amino acid. Precursor. But, right, it's the precursor. Right. But that's that's assuming that you've got the mm -hmm. enzymes mm -hmm. necessary to produce the glutathione. If you don't, then throwing NAC isn't really going to help you. Right. So it's very, uh, yeah, it's very unique and bio-individual. You've got to understand your body chemistry before you try to, you know, start throwing supplements at it, which is why you've got to get yourself tested. And most doctors don't do these tests. You've got to go to someone who's more of a functional integrative right. practitioner who has access to these types of tests, but they do exist. Um, I used to measure glutathione all the time, not on myself, but in the lab. 
So right. yeah, clearly there's ways of doing this, but um, you've got to go to the right place and it's usually out of pocket. It's very expensive. So this is kind of getting into the biohacking arena. Mm -hmm. The It's the same thing with nitric oxide. Uh, we, we are always telling people that it's important uh, for vasodilation, oxidative stress, immune function. And if you get older, you can produce it by the having the right bacteria and, and then adding the right foods. But if you have an oral dysbiosis and you're, you're lacking that NO synthase pathway, you can eat all the great foods like beets and arugula you want, and you're not going to produce any NO. So it's similar with uh, glutathione. You got to have that. So glutathione is made in the liver, right? Liver, kidney, it's in almost every cell of your body, but oh, the main right. the main ones are liver and kidney. Liver. Um, so if you have any liver dysfunction, then you're going to be low on glutathione, right? Generally speaking, yeah. Right. That's one of the first things to go. It's like you'll, you'll start to see the decrease in glutathione production. And then there's other antioxidants too. Glutathione isn't the only one, but it's the main one. <laughs> right. Yeah, deep sleep is very, very important for liver repair. So a lot of people that are staying up late at night, which is something I used to do. Um, you know, if you stay up till one or two a.m. and then think you're going to pack in quality sleep before the alarm goes off at seven a.m., you're wrong because the the liver gets the liver turns it it turns itself on itself to fix itself if you're in deep sleep around midnight to one one thirty a.m. Uh, that's based on a normal schedule, and so if you are going to bed late, your liver is not being refurbished and replenished and detoxified. Again, the liver spends all day long detoxifying your body. It needs to detoxify itself. So I would say that people that aren't getting deep sleep or go to bed late uh, are and getting up early are um, and missing out on that that first stage, this the staging of deep sleep, which occurs in the earlier part of of sleep, uh, they're probably low in glutathione. Um I wonder if there's a study out on that that you can measure people that have sleep apnea or or go to force them to go to bed late. Um, well, let's let's talk. Um, let, let's assume you can make glutathione. What and you you harped on this just a few minutes ago. Um, you don't believe in supplementation. So, what is the ideal way naturally to make sure your body is making optimal, uh, up to its capacity, optimal levels of glutathione? Definitely through the diet, diet and lifestyle, right? As you mentioned, deep sleep, that's critical for just overall health, but diet, getting foods with adequate protein, amino acids like cysteine, sulfur, glycine, glutamate, we need all of those, right? To make glutathione. You can get those through broccoli sprouts that provide a lot of sulforaphane, broccoli, cauliflower, cruciferous vegetables, garlic, onions. You can also get it through green tea. So matcha is pretty great for increasing your glutathione levels, but also weight-bearing exercise, mm. aerobic exercise. So exercise in general, you want to move your body, get that going because actually when you exercise, there's an initial depletion in glutathione and then you get this adaptive response where right. you'll increase your glutathione levels. It's so awesome because if you ever feel better after you work out, I mean, there's so many reasons for this, but I would say glutathione is definitely part of it. And then also you can supplement in different ways, not necessarily with glutathione directly, but I supplement personally with whey protein because it does provide the amino acids. And there are clinical studies on this showing that people who take whey protein have increased levels of glutathione. So it's just part of my sort of um, resistance training exercise regimen. I just include 
a whey protein shake just to add to help my body rebuild the muscles as right. well as increase my glutathione level. So it's, you know, a lot of bang for your buck. I'm a big fan of whey protein as well. Um, what, uh, how do you use the whey protein? How much do you take? Uh, I know it's based on body weight partially, but do you uh, supplement before exercise or after? People are going to ask that. And there's so many diff differing opinions on that. Yeah, I think you can do it before and after. I think key is to have adequate protein levels mm -hmm. before and after you exercise. So having a protein-rich breakfast, it then if you work out after breakfast, then which is what I do, I'll have breakfast, do my workout. Then when I come back from my workout, I'll have a protein shake. Right. Um, yeah, so I that's how I do it personally. That just is what works for me. But I think having just adequate protein in general, you need mm -hmm. to have that in general. And I right. think a lot of people, like you said, just in general health, oral health, if you're eating too many, you know, processed carbs and starches and things like that, you're not really supporting your body the way it needs to be because glutathione, you absolutely need the protein because it's made out of amino acids. Right. No, I totally agree with you. Um, I think un unless you're suffering from sleep apnea and your ghrelin and leptin hormones are out of whack, which is related to lack of sleep, poor sleep, uh, assuming that's all good, I think when you feel, when you get that hunger sensation or pain, uh, I think it's protein related. I think your body is telling you you need more protein. Uh, and I think you should always give in to that no matter what. I don't care how many calories there are in the clean protein you're ingesting. You should give in and get the protein on board uh, and make sure that um, the body is getting what it needs. Now, obviously, that doesn't apply to carbs. Uh, and that's why I have that caveat in there. Most people that are very tired are looking for a quick source of energy, and that would be bread and crackers and things like that. So, um, uh, so that's good to know. Um, and you don't recommend supplementation, even as you get older. You think, uh, if you're getting enough protein, uh, and you're really working on that, and that means if you're, if you weigh a hundred pounds, probably a hundred pounds of a uh, hundred grams of, a protein, right? Uh, that's a lot for people. Uh, people, when they're told to do that, they find it very challenging. Whey protein can help with that because it's in a scoop and you add it to water and it's quick. Um, so you don't recommend supplementation at any age. That's not necessarily the case. I wouldn't say that I don't recommend it. It's just mm -hmm. that I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there as a first line of defense. Okay. So first line of defense of try to avoid the toxins that are depleting your glutathione in the first place. And then of course, right alongside it, support your glutathione through your diet and lifestyle. And then if you're still having issues and you're still struggling, you should work with your healthcare professional to find out what the root causes could be. Mm -hmm. And then you might want to supplement after that, but it's really case by case. I wouldn't necessarily say I don't recommend it at all. So for example, if I'm doing some infrared sauna therapy, then I will take glutathione because I know that this type of therapy is releasing toxins that are stored in my body. So I want the glutathione there to bind it and take it out. So that's when I use glutathione. Do I use it daily? Not necessarily. Okay. I think you've that's... got to have the other parts in place first and then see what you're working with. Because if right. you just start throwing glutathione at it, you might feel better, but you probably still have the root issue going on. Could be a placebo effect as well. Right, right, yeah. right. Right. Oh, I, that's great advice. And I agree. If you can do it naturally, that's worth the effort. And supplementation is not imperfect and complicated. And a lot of supplements will interact with each other. And, and if you're 
very sick and you're supplementing, I would recommend that you get a functional provider that measures all of that. Um, I like buying from Pure Encapsulations for that reason. They have on their site an interaction um, uh, kind of AI program. You, you plug in all your medications that you're taking and your supplements, and it'll it'll pick out things that you shouldn't be taking, or at least the strengths, and modify that. So that's that's a very important caveat uh, to supplementation. Uh, let's. Uh, so that was fascinating. Um, I think in summary, if you have gum disease, you should really worry. Not worry. Let's take that out of the lexicon. You should be concerned about and managing and making sure that your glutathione levels are are such that you can reverse this cytokine response, this exaggerated response. Uh, it, it's almost an autoimmune uh, uh, kind of disease, and it's very pre- prevalent. Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, a, uh, it's it, it's one of the most prevalent diseases. Well, cavities is the most common disease in on the planet and then gum disease is a close second or third uh and then of course there are all the comorbidities and other diseases that compound uh, oral health and oral health in turn compounds them heart disease diabetes diabetes all of that so um let's let's finish up by talking about uh one of my favorite ingredients that I like really uh, criticizing that is in toothpaste, but it's also in shampoo and and conditioner and, and other products, uh, surfactants and emulsifiers. So what is the difference between a surfactant and an emulsifier and why are companies using them in all of our healthcare, uh, well, beauty products, health products, toothpaste is under that umbrella. It is considered to be a cosmetic product uh shouldn't be but but why why are they using it what's the difference between the two an emulsifier is something that helps water and oil mix and a surfactant is something that will bind and remove fats and lipid based uh how would i say molecules mm-hmm. debris dirt things like that so surfactants can actually break those up and remove them which is why people associate them with cleaning much different than a stronger. traditional soap. Yes, much, much stronger. Detergent-like, they can break things up, break things down, and actually cause a lot of damage depending on the type that you're using. So typical soap, like saponified oils, let's say, in a traditional soap that was made from uh, something highly basic, like a lye with mm-hmm. an oil, then that creates a soap molecule that is not going to be as harsh as something that is synthetically created a synthetic detergent surfactant like sodium lauryl sulfate which can really denature proteins Mm -hmm. and that's one of the issues that we have with these types of detergents and surfactants in oral care skin care shampoo products is that they can cause or they do cause barrier dysfunction Mm -hmm. on the skin and also in the in the mouth so they can destroy gum tissue because they're breaking the cells apart. Mm-hmm. They're also destroying the skin because over time, if you keep disrupting the barrier function of the skin, that's how you get allergic reactions, eczema, rosacea, and all these other mm-hmm. types of skin conditions. But again, it that's just one factor because that's just the external side of it. The internal side of it is if you're having a poor diet, then that's going to affect your oral health, right? And then if you've got... um 
high levels of oxidation in your body, inflammation, then that's also playing into it. If you've got gut dysbiosis, it's all connected. But just from the external side anyway, these synthetic detergents and surfactants are extremely harsh. They actually, we use them in the lab to denature proteins. That was the whole purpose of using them. So right. when I think about seeing a product that has sodium dodecyl sulfate SDS in a skincare product, I think to myself, I have no idea how this would feel. This I would imagine that would be very painful to put on your skin over right. time. Right. You're just breaking your skin. Yeah. Well, it dries you out uh, in the mouth. I mean, I've been harping on this for decades. It's it's just doesn't make sense that you would put something and and the oral mucosa is one cell thick. It's much more fragile than the epidermis. Um, although you talked about all those things you can get from using shampoos on the skin, it happens in the mouth. We, we call them canker sores and, and, and they're painful. And uh, so why, so my understanding uh, based on the research I've done is that these chemicals are, for example, in toothpaste, but also in any of these liquid products so that to help make it you know, congeal and mix properly quickly and stay mixed. And so they can make it in very large batches. I mean, there's no reason they would add this unless you were a snake oil salesman and you had your covered wagon. And it was the late 1800s and you were literally selling soap from, you know, from lye and naturally made soap because soap was considered to be this wonderful invention. It made us all clean and smell good. Uh, why would corporations today be using this? Is it more just about manufacturing and efficiency and cost and profit? It's all of those. And mm -hmm. also because consumers have now become accustomed to foam and associating mm -hmm. foam with cleanliness when the two are totally separate. Right. They can actually use foaming boosters in there. So they'll use things like EDTA that chelate different mm -hmm. metals or whatever in the water in the formula wow. that can actually boost the foaming effectiveness of that SLS. And it's, it's, yeah, it's just really uh, a sensory effect. I think people associate that with feeling clean, that squeaky clean feeling. You don't want that in your teeth. No. Yeah, no, <laughs> or anywhere you really. Yeah. You're you stripping the natural oils. You're stripping exactly. the protective layer layers. As you so, are on your skin and hair. Exactly. And yeah, amazing. It, it's just, I, I just don't know how we got there. I mean, it's just, and, and how it, ingrained it has become. As you said, we all expect this and we need the bubbliness and the burning sensation and, and the disin, the, the modality of disinfecting. I mean, that's just, it just doesn't make sense. And yet we continue making this stuff. Uh, the good news is that there are alternatives in the toothpaste market that are changing that. But a lot of them, I would say the majority of toothpaste still have these emulsifiers and surfactants. Even the toothpaste that I recommend, because they have no fluoride and they have hydroxyapatite in it, they still have surfactants. Um, and these surfactants are naturally derived from coconut. But isn't a surfactant a surfactant? I mean... It is. Yeah, yeah. it's it's doing the same action, but right. some are considered more quote-unquote gentle than others. Yes, right. But it's still having the same effect. And right. is that a desired effect? Is it a necessary effect? Mm -hmm. That's still questionable. Right. And again, it's easier to make toothpaste with these things. I, I know I have formulated or have had toothpaste formulated just because I was curious. And if I could take out all these products, what would it look like? And it's very difficult. Uh, toothpaste is a necessary evil. If you want toothpaste, which we're all used to having, uh, 
and we consider to be necessary twice daily, and, and I'm speaking of the profession as well, then we are trying to put minerals in there and, and sustain it or uh, suspend it in solution um, so that when it comes out, it's a nice paste. And of course, there's some uh, abrasion there so we can polish down the teeth. And obviously, most toothpaste, especially if it's a whitening toothpaste, has way too much abrasivity in it, uh, even though it's ADA accepted. Uh, these are things that we're just used to. And, and I, a, a lot of the market has gone to tablets. It's the untoothpaste. Um, because they took out all the fluid and all that, but then the uptake of, of minerals is, is not optimal. Uh, so a paste is still a good idea, but it is possible to make a toothpaste with a good remineralizing agent. You don't need the essential oils. Those are also bactericidal. Also, you need the emulsifiers to keep the oils in suspension. So you're pulling in that. Um, uh, you can make a great toothpaste. A toothpaste should be reverse, reverse engineered saliva. That would be the ideal toothpaste. Uh, so it would be a little runny. It would, uh, it would, uh, hold and contain in suspension certain appetite crystals made out of calcium carbonate, phosphorus, even boron, things like that. And then when, as soon as there's some evaporation or if there's an ionic change, like a electrical a differential, as the pH changes in the mouth, these ions, these minerals get get bonded to the tooth surface. Uh, that's all. That's all toothpaste should be. Um, but it's become more than that. It has become a multi-billion dollar industry uh, with uh, uh, colors and stripes and artificial coloring and microbeads. We talked about the microbeads. They added little microbeads to make it look sparkly. Those microbeads we were finding in the crevicular fluid, that's the uh, fluid in between the gum, the, uh, the, the, Deep gum pockets. Uh, we were only able to see that with uh, magnification, with surgical loops, um, and uh, California outlawed that pretty quickly because it's just purely cosmetic, and it's not a microplastic. It's a macroplastic. Maybe that's the word for it because you can see it, but uh, completely unnecessary. So the marketing and the manufacturing of all these products, uh, whether it's shampoo or look at the cosmetic industry um, and the, the phthalates. Aren't there a lot of phthalates in cosmetics? Uh, the skin absorbs that, right? Um, and that's an endocrine disruptor. Yeah, they're everywhere. They're, yeah. they're literally overused now. And I think there's even migration from the packaging into the product. So even if you didn't, even if the manufacturer didn't intentionally add phthalates mm -hmm. in, let's say through mm -hmm. the fragrances or whatever, there could be migration from the packaging as well. And it's a nightmare. It's actually yep. a nightmare to think about how many unnecessary ingredients there are out there when you could really get away with a lot of things in your kitchen. So I, actually, one of the, my favorite ways to moisturize my hands is if I'm cutting open an avocado mm. and there's a little bit left, I'll rub it into my skin. And that is the best hand cream lotion ever. And it's totally free. It's edible. And it's fantastic. And why let it go to waste? You know, right. I, instead of using all that stuff with the fragrances and all of these weird emulsifiers, like you've said, it just doesn't make sense. Well, it saves money. A lot of these products are very expensive. Uh, you know, uh, half of my heritage is Italian and a, a lot of my older relatives, you know, you would see old pictures of them and their hair was kind of slicked back and that was all olive oil. Um, yeah. I mean, um, Avocado oil, same thing. So, so when you 
buy products for your family? Where uh, I know you're you're involved with a, a great organization. I've looked at it. I use it. Uh, what? How do you, in general, how do you know that a product is safe? I mean, obviously, you have a background in this, and you probably have access to a lab and you can test it. But let's say you're um, a typical mom and dad family. How do you make these decisions? Uh, for example, you don't necessarily need a lot of this stuff, but if you do need it, how do you find a good, safe version of it? This is a really great question. I think everybody needs to have these skills in their toolbox. First of all, let's, like you said, be minimalistic. That's how I've come mm-hmm. to be. I used to be one that was whatever is trendy, bright, shiny. I'm getting that just because I wanted it and I could have it. But Love now that. I've really become the opposite. I'm very right. minimalistic, especially with the products that I buy. If I'm getting something that is what is an absolute must have for me, it's the toothpaste, the uh, soap, shampoo, and body lotion. I would say those are the non-negotiables. That's what I need Mm -hmm. to just function as a person. Let's start there. And then you can add on whatever you want after that. But I think really paring down is going to help us significantly because healthier products in general, they cost more than the cheap conventional junk Mm -hmm. stuff. It's just how it is. And if you can use fewer products, then you actually won't end up spending more than you are currently on the cheap stuff. You're just using fewer products. If you get even better with multitasking products, that's even better for you. So something that you can use as a hand soap that also doubles as a body wash, that's perfect. There's no need to have a separate product for that. And then one of the things that I love to tell people is if you're not able to understand what the ingredients mean, if they're not in simple language, then that's probably not a good product for you. Mm-hmm. That's probably not ideal. If it's right. highly synthetic, a lot of chemical names that makes you feel confused, then that's your intuition showing you that it's probably not the best product for you. So avoiding the long chemical names, trying to go for the most organic and minimally processed, the fewest products, this is going to do you a huge favor in the long run, financially and health-wise. Oh, I totally agree with you. I love that minimal minimalism uh, approach. Uh, and most of the products that I'm buying, that my family is buying, we buy them online from a small company that is trying to make change. And there's a, and if I see the ingredients right up front, or I can actually see the tube and magnify the tube or the product, uh, the transparency is very important. Uh, uh, if there's anything you don't recognize in something, I would say, look it up, ask someone, reach out, reach out to me. If it's toothpaste, I'm happy to, to on Instagram, happy to, uh, you know, elucidate what, what that is and why it's there. Uh, you know, if you have other influencers that you follow in different areas, uh, you know, reach out and get that information and buy from those companies. Yes, the prices are typically more, but you can use less, Um, And also in the long run, it's safer because there's less chance of you getting sick or needing to uh, go see a physician, uh, you know, and treat the symptomology and and the the ramifications of not being well. And of course, it's always better to uh, stay away from that. In other words, be well so that you don't have to 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 deal with that. So um, um, any, what do you think of EWG or all these other or swell score or what, what, what are good resources for people that don't have a lot of time? Uh, is it just research? Is it just looking at the boutique companies knowing that typically on the shelves at Target and CVS that those are probably not good products? What, what's the quick and easy 
way to keep your family safe? Quick and easy, I would say it's not easy to necessarily the probably the I would say the lowest hanging fruit is if you were to shop from a site where products are vetted. That's why I partnered with the Swell Score. I joined as a head toxicologist there because we really want to build out the category of beauty and personal care products, which a lot of people struggle with because of the high amounts of these chemical ingredients. It confuses people. They are not obviously not healthy products either, but I'm not saying all chemicals are bad. What I'm saying is when you shop from a site like that. We've done the heavy lifting for you. I've gone ahead and contacted all of these manufacturers. I've asked not only about the ingredients, that's the first checkpoint is looking at the ingredients list, but asking about their ingredient sourcing, looking at the type of packaging they're using. What is their transparency? Are they providing any type of third-party testing reports? These are very important because over time, it's the companies that are doing more work up front to ensure the safety and purity of their products, those are the brands that will withstand the test of time that I hope Mm -hmm. can withstand the test of time because they are putting in the work to support human and environmental health. It's all important. We don't want to separate the two and just say, well, I'm using this product now and it doesn't matter what happens if I wash it down the drain because it does matter. Over time, if you think about billions of people around the world doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. this is how we end up with polluted waterways and polluted air and and so on. So if we can just start there, that's a huge resource. And that's the reason that I'm so passionate about this is because the companies that are doing this work deserve to be in the forefront and they should be supported Mm -hmm. because they are the ones that are actually helping us not the multinationals, not the mm-hmm. huge billion dollar corporations that are just selling you you know, junk, which is mostly water. And so they have to add all these chemicals and emulsifiers because it's mostly water right. in order to make a product even seem like it's working. Right. But you're paying for water. So if you pay for healthier products, minimally processed, more organic, they're usually more potent. So I found that when I switched to healthier shampoo, I use less. Mm-hmm. Even though I wash my hair just the same frequency, I use less because it just, you don't need that much. And so that's also a really great way to reduce your environmental impact and footprint. I've seen that as well. Uh, It's a good point. So in summary, I think it's easy to vilify the the corporations and blame them. And and I've been on that bandwagon. I still am in in some regards, but I think it really boils down to our personal choices. Uh, Every person out there, the only way we're going to see change is by knowing what is the better product for the environment, for manufacturing uh, uh, methods, um, the effect on the environment, and also the effect on us. I mean, we are part of the environment. and we need to take care of ourselves and not expose ourselves. And then also be be minimalist. Make sure that you actually need that product. Be wary that we are being bombarded with messages saying you need this product. Uh, this is very prevalent in in the dental profession and all the corporations that are making dental products. They're telling you, you know, this mouthwash will kill ninety nine percent of your bugs. And but what does that do? You know, what are the long term effects? And why do you need to do that? Uh, this is all based on stuff that uh, that has been around since, you know, before the FDA and and before we were actually looking at this and we were able to measure and read the latest studies. Don't go based on what a big corporation is telling you. And and by you making that decision, 
we will affect change and we will reduce this load of toxins for future generations. Uh, it's going to take some time, unfortunately. Um, must be very difficult for you as a toxicologist. I mean, for me as a dentist, I, I just see all the wrongs and, and, uh, it can be a little overwhelming. Uh, you are living in a sea of toxins and you can pick it up. Um, it must be a very interesting, uh, kind of way of, of, of living. Um, it's, um, you know, you get, you get used to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. and the way that I navigate through my life is with every product, with every choice that I have, is this more benefit than there are risks? Mm -hmm. That's just a simple way of going about it. Are there more benefits than risks? And right. if you can get the ones that have the lowest risks more often than not, then you're in the on the right path. So yep. I think we can really get down into the weeds and digging and this ingredient, that ingredient, and that's fine. Um, I do that because that's just what I do as for a living, but most people won't do that. And I think an easy way to navigate is just to think of, is this going to be more beneficial than it is harmful? And that's right. the simple way of navigating through all of this. Absolutely. And one simple way for everyone that's listening and watching, if you really want to get good information is to follow... Dr. Yvonne Burkhardt on her Instagram feed. How? What is the uh, the handle for your Instagram feed? It's at Dr. Yvonne Burkhardt. Just one okay. word. I'll put that in the show notes. And then how about a, you have a website as well, right? I do. It's also dryvonneburkhardt.com. And I put on there the products that I use, my favorite ones that I share the most with my friends and my family. So I just made that publicly available to help people because I know that I educate a lot about the toxins and what to avoid, but I'm solutions oriented and I want to share the solutions that have helped me. And there are a lot of good solutions. I've been talking with you now for a few weeks and and I've learned a lot from you and uh, I would recommend everyone... Uh, take a look at your presence on the web. And, and this is my, my, my go-to always. People ask me, how do you do it? Uh, if it's not about oral health, which is what I do, I have my favorite influencers. They, they, they are teachers. They help me. And so I would reach out. If you have questions about products, make sure you've got someone knowledgeable in, in, you know, in your, in your pocket um, that can whisper in your ear, literally uh, on a podcast as you're, walking or exercising uh, and and this is the great way this is the beauty of the internet uh is the democratization of this information the good information the truth about healthcare so i i am very very happy to have met you and i'm so glad that you're part of this and that you've joined the ranks and the information you're putting out there is wonderful so uh, i congratulate you on that i'm definitely following you i would recommend everyone do that the same a new rising star in in the influencer field. And, you know, the truth is we'll set you free. It is so true when it comes to healthcare. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure. I learned so much from you every day. Also from your Instagram, your emails, I learned so much from you and I'm implementing them to help my children and also just spreading the word because oral health is still somewhat of a black box for people. I think it can yeah. be very mysterious. So thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for this opportunity to be on your podcast and to reach more people. So thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll definitely have you on again. And just to be able to make links between glutathione and gum disease and caries, absolutely friggin' amazing. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Ask the Dentist. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Mike Fry. Drop me a line at mark at askthedentist.com. If you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and especially for taking an interest in oral health. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.